This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. What is going on? Welcome back to the show. It is Q&A time. First question we have comes from Jen within the membership training programs. Um, Shout out to you, Jen. She wanted to know, is there a specific reason that the contractions on your movements are so quick in your movement demos on Instagram? So basically what she's asking here is like, and she phrased this a little bit differently, like what's with the quick snap, I think she said. But basically she's asking why are the contractions of all the movements so quick? Whereas you'll notice like anytime I put a movement demo up on Instagram, the contraction, basically the quote unquote lifting portion of the exercise is very quick. Whereas the eccentric or the quote unquote lowering portion of the movement is very slow. So if we look at Basically, how can we train to create as much hypertrophy, as much muscle growth as possible? We know that fast twitch fibers, so all your muscles are composed of some blend of fast twitch and slow twitch fibers, right? Um, So we know that fast twitch fibers have a much greater ability to grow or have much more uh, room to grow, we could say, than slow twitch fibers. But if we're going very slowly through a movement, trying to really feel the muscle work on the contraction, it's actually counterproductive because we're recruiting less fast twitch fibers, which are, again, the muscles that really have the greatest propensity for growth because we're going so slow trying to, quote unquote, feel the muscle group. So that gets to be really counterproductive. So it makes sense, again, to create as much muscle growth as possible for the contraction, the concentric portion of your movements to be as explosive as you can make them. Now, you should also be using a weight challenging enough that it shouldn't feel like, okay, this weight just flies up effortlessly and like hits you in the face, right? It should be challenging still, but the effort, this you should be trying to make this quick. Now, on the flip side, on the eccentric, so the lower portion of the movement, we know especially for hypertrophy, um, well, specific to, high, to muscle growth in this case, muscle damage is thought to be a big piece of that, or at least part of the puzzle. We know that a slow concentric is where most of, or excuse me, a slow eccentric is where most of muscle damage is created. So, for example, movements that... Um, don't have an eccentric don't make you sore which is super interesting so like that's why like a sled pull is a great or a sled push is a great um modality of training for like someone that's chasing recovery right because we can add some more volume there but it doesn't create a ton of muscle damage super interesting stuff but the idea here is if we do slow that eccentric down, we control it, we will create more muscle damage, which basically you'll feel as soreness. Now, soreness isn't the number one proxy we want to chase for muscle growth by any means, but again, it's a good sign that we've disrupted something. So it makes sense for the concentric portion of all your lifts to be explosive and that eccentric to last uh, two to four seconds. All right, next question was um, from one of my mentor clients, do women need to train differently than men? All right, so a couple things to consider here. Um, Every, honestly, it's like the question, 
like everyone we program for has these basic principles that we build a program around, right? Like we're going to plug in different variations of squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, unique to or that are a good fit for your anatomy, your training history, and your goals. But that's always individualized and it should be no different for men versus women. So there are some like physiologically, there are a couple differences. So men are generally going to be more explosive. So like if we're looking at lifting a weight on any given one rep max, men are generally going to be able to like per rep generate more force, which means, well, of course they can like create more power and maybe move more weight. It also means that they're going to fatigue quicker. Whereas women on the flip side with any given percentage of your one rep max are going to be able to do more reps, generating a bit less power generally on each rep. But again, they can go for longer. So here we could argue in women also, again, often as a product, occasionally as now that said, I know like a lot of women that are stronger than a lot of dudes. (laughs) So it very much depends. But in general, women because of this can recover a bit quicker um, and can handle more volume as a whole generally a lot more or a good amount more volume than men now estrogen actually also plays a role in recovery and also gives women some additional benefits as far as recovery goes but really when we're thinking through training like i've seen and this is a lot more apparent in my more advanced clients the more advanced women that i coach again women can generally handle a bit more volume than men and it doesn't seem to be like like for me personally, damn, like I would feel smashed running this amount of volume, but this client's crushing it. She feels great and she's making great gains and also just doesn't need as long of rest periods as like I would, for example, between training sets. So super interesting things there. That said, um, the main differences outside of this are just going to be where we allocate volume, right? And this is just, again, even between two women, this can be very different. Between two men, this can be very different. So this isn't really gender specific. It's more just part of, as a good coach, tailoring your training programs to your client's specific needs. So like, maybe you'll bring on a woman who doesn't want to focus so much on her chest, right? Just, I don't give a shit about getting jacked chest, but maybe she wants to, um, build her delts more so for a dude that like in that situation who like i do want to focus more on my chest okay it would make sense to maybe at some point in that training session he has some type of chest finisher where we're focusing on like you're gonna get a crazy chest pump here okay maybe for the woman that is gonna be like a delt finisher so she adds more volume to her delts that said again it's not specific to genders it's much more like specific to individuals and similarly we could say like okay maybe like dudes will want more focus on traps and biceps but again it's it's this is so much more like individuals as a whole and really here we're even looking at like i see there's a lot less variation with how we program like your compound movements, your different variations of squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull. Whereas, okay, so maybe the one exception for that would be like a woman that wanted to focus more on her delts. We would put more emphasis on vertical pressing as opposed to like maybe if a dude wanted to focus more on his chest or chest and delts equally, we would put more emphasis on horizontal pressing. But outside of that, the variation isn't so much in how we program like our main compounds, again, squat, hinge, lunge, push, pull, as it is where we allocate, not allocate, allocate um, 
your volume with your isolation exercises, right? Like what are your finishers look like? Are you doing more like bicep curls or um, lateral raises? Are you doing like more leg extensions or maybe you're doing a a glute finisher or maybe more like hamstring focused work? That said, again, we want to make sure like no matter what, we're putting together a well-balanced training program, but truly like the principles stay the same as far as how we put together a smart training program. It's really very much like how we allocate these things. And again, it's very much like to the individual, how are we tweaking things and really like, how are you cueing your, um, your primary movements even? So like, I know I've used the example before of like a split squat. So like, does the client want to build their quads? Okay, maybe we keep them more upright. Like, yo, let your knee drift forward over your toes. Let your knee track forward a lot more. Whereas if the client wants to build their glutes, okay. Or if we want to make this a more glute dominant movement, more so than quad dominant, okay, we want you to lean forward. We want you to break at the hips. You're going to drive through your heel at the weight up. But again, that's so much more dependent on the individual rather than genders. That's really how I see it. Again, there are some physiological differences, but when you're programming, the most apparent thing that I've seen is, again, women generally are going to need less rest times and um, a bit shorter rest times. Now, that said, on the flip side of that, too, I've often found that like because many women can just go, go, go without realizing it, they've gotten to the point where it's like barely taking any rest between sets and it does turn into more of a cardio workout. So, I've often found that like in situations like that, actually programming longer rest times is very helpful for actually building lean muscle. Um, but past that point, again, it's primarily just how you allocate volume, like which muscle groups you allocate it to is the biggest difference there. All right. And last question we had for the day was thoughts on clients, quote unquote, making up calories the following day if they go over. All right, so here I call this pushing and pulling calories. You'll hear people call it a lot of things like robbing Peter to pay Paul, um, et cetera. But basically the point is, or the thinking behind this is, your day-to-day calories don't matter that much as long as your weekly calories are on point. So for example, if your calorie goals are 1,500, let's say one day you eat 1,700 calories, the next day you eat 1,300 calories. That evens out to across the course of those days, your average was 1,500. So no harm done there, really. So this is very much dependent on the client um, who I'll implement this with. So typically, if it's like a very type A person, very organized, like we know they're going to be on point with this, that's where I like to get a lot more like, okay, yeah, you're free to implement this. You can save up calories. Also, people can often get too carried away with this to where they're all always like kind of playing this game of catch up, which doesn't just doesn't ever end well. So typically what I'll tell clients is one, we need to have some guidelines around how much you're pushing and pulling. Anecdotally, I found that once we get past like 350 calories, so you're like 350 calories below your calorie goal. That's when you really see a big increase in hunger. So typically like 300 calories per day is the most I would let clients like save up for the next day or quote unquote try to make up. Because again, when we get past that point, like well intentions might be the best. That's when people are a lot more likely to like, damn, I'm just really hungry today. I don't even care about hitting my macros right now. I'm just going to eat. And then people often end up overeating a lot more than they underate the next day. But if this is a client that like has a history of 
Um, so for example, again, I was talking to my mentor client about this and one of the clients he was using as an example that of this was they had done like 1600 calories, um, five to six days a week and then 3000 calories on the other days, um, on the weekend. So, and this dude had also had like a history of binging. So in a situation like that, that's where I definitely wouldn't implement like a strategy like this in a situation like that. What I would do is all right, we're going to have this consistent intake through the week. Now, before you go out, instead of like, hey, we're going to try to save up calories across the weekend, again, kind of, which already kind of feeds into that, okay, I get to binge on the weekend's mindset. Instead, I would likely keep calories very similar across the week. And then going into those events out, I would like, even if we're going to go over your calories today, like 300 to 400, what we're going to do is just try to get you really, really full before you go out. So this is a situation where I'd like have a client, okay, maybe like throughout the day, maybe we're going to drop fat a little bit, but I still want you to eat a ton of protein, eat plenty of like fibrous carbs, etc. And then right before you go out again, rather than like, yo, we've saved up all these calories across the course of the week. Let's just get you eating a very filling meal. So if you've heard of me talk about the pre-drinking meal, for example, like let's say a sweet potato, which potatoes, if we look at the satiety index, potatoes are literally the most filling food paired with, let's say like some lean ground beef, like some 93 or 96% lean ground beef. So let's say like a 10 to 12 ounce sweet potato with six to eight ounces of ground beef on it. After that dude eats that, he's going to be full as fuck. And we're going to tell him like, yo, we want you to eat this meal right before you go out. When you go out, enjoy yourself. Like, of course, I'm going to educate you on here's how you make lower calorie drink or here's how you choose lower calorie drinks. Um, Here's some good choices at the restaurant. But again, like, don't stress that too terribly much. Just enjoy yourself. But he's so full when he goes out that he's a lot less likely to overdo it. But it's not like it's so much a mindset thing. Like, oh, man, like it's again, it takes him out of this binging, binging mode to just like okay, I enjoyed myself, but I'm really full. I don't really want to eat or drink much more. So typically in situations like that, that is the best solution that I found. And that quick Q&A today, that is all I have for you guys. Again, thank you for tuning in.